All right, welcome to the Jig Is Up. My name is Darcy, and joining me tonight is Jason. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, it's been a while. How are you doing? Not too bad. So enjoying life up in the uh, beautiful White Court country? Well, I'm enjoying it in between breaks in the rain. Yeah, yeah, we've got a little bit of rain down here too, but hey, it's it's summertime. I'll take rain over snow any day. Well, rain up here is good because that means no forest fires. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. So we got a we got a bit of a jam packed show. We got um, <laughs> we're gonna kick it off with a video that somebody posted on Facebook uh, from I think it was a Métis National Council meeting. I don't know where it was, but it was a meeting with where. The president of the Métis National Council, uh, Mr. Clem, was talking about the Powley decision, and they were talking. They were talking about defining Métis, as they always do, or redefining Métis, as I like to say it. Um, and so he went on to describe what Powley is. You know, there's the Powley test, the Supreme Court, blah blah blah. Um, but what's interesting is that he admitted that he himself probably wouldn't meet or pass the Pauli test, um, which I thought was contradictory to how they're trying to use uh, these organizations, the cartels, trying to use Pauli as membership criteria now to even be considered Métis. So I thought that was interesting. Well, it came as a real shock to me, actually. Um, I don't really don't know Clem's backstory that much. But given how heavy-handed they've been with Eastern Métis on meeting the Pali test for authenticity um, and how they've marginalized everyone out East because communities are having a, um, a hard time, especially in Quebec, uh, given the, the nationalistic view the Quebecers have, that uh, who would have ever thought? You know, you'd think that the uh, the guy who's basically appointed by 55 members would be, you know, next to uh, Louis Riel himself. Well, that's just it, right? I mean, how how does a guy run an organization? How does how do they redefine who is and who's not Métis? And then how do they jump all over the Pauli test when, if if he won't pass Pauli, how many of their own people don't pass the Pauli test? But yet they want to start using that for for their membership as the standard for membership in their organizations. Um. Which just seems odd to me. I mean, well, yeah, they've they've set it up. I mean, the MNC by definition has really adopted the strictest of criteria um, for what that Pali test actually means. Um, so much so that they've really sided with the government that if your community can't pass the Pali test uh, from the government, they're not really even willing to accept you as as Métis people. And here is the, uh, you know, the top hat wearing guy himself saying he doesn't meet Pauly. Well, exactly. And, and I, you know, and that's the thing that's really disappointing is it's, it's very, the, the hypocrisy of, of, of a lot of the things they do stands out for me as, as a very large area of frustration for me. And, you know, this is just another one of those where, well, we don't pass the test, but you have to. Oh well, you know, Western Métis don't have to pass Pali for us to consider them Métis, but Eastern Métis do, and and then for them to kind of purposely confuse or make the issue confusing as to you know Pali defines according to the government of Canada and the Supreme Court, Pali is a definition on rights as opposed to identity, which are two different things. 
And it even says that in the in you know Daniel's decision and even in the Pauli t- case. So, but they try to throw that all together and say, no, no, the Pauli test determines who is and who's not Métis. But then they don't follow that. But then they try to apply that to Eastern Métis. But, you know, I, I don't know. Just There's so many hypocrisies with what they do. And uh, Yeah, exactly. And, and this really is, is talking about the other side. When you're trying to hold, like you said, everybody to this, the gold bar standard, when the pinnacle of leadership within the, the cartel structure is confessing that it doesn't meet the criteria. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, you know, at what point should you just step down then? Yeah, yeah. Well, and how have you painted yourself into this corner and done it willingly and and encouragingly to paint yourself into a corner where you don't even you admit that you don't even um, hold you can't even exercise your rights? If we just look at this from a rights perspective, here's the person since 1982 that's been running this organization who has purposely and willingly put himself into the point where he actually himself can't exercise his indigenous rights because he's accepted, so willingly accepted the government of Canada's take on this, on Métis rights. It, it's, if, if, if you say they're fighting for their, their people, how are they fighting for their people when they're not even fighting li- literally for themselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you are the head of an organization that has so marginalized Métis people that you've excluded your own self. Yeah, yeah, like that that doesn't seem like a, a an intelligent way to go about things, but maybe that's just me. Like I, I'm no lawyer, but that doesn't seem like the right kind of legalese to me. No, no, it certainly doesn't. Um, and I think what you know, one of the some of the thing, words he uses, and and the way they talk about Pauli. Um, is very striking if you if you actually listen to to how they're saying these things. Um, you know, one of his uh, one of the quotes I read from that somebody quoted him and saying, uh, you know, the Supreme Court in the Pauli case outlined a basic legal test that an individual would need to pass in order to be considered quote unquote Métis for the purposes of asserting Aboriginal rights under Section 35 of the Constitution Act. And then it goes on. He goes on to talk about those criteria, but it's like. Yeah, but just because the Supreme Court of Canada says it doesn't necessarily make it right. And it, it's so clear that they've given up all control over Métis Indigenous rights to the government of Canada at this point, where they're just willing, they're just, well, the Supreme Court laid it out. So what, what more do you want? Um, and I think that really, I mean, that's something we've covered uh, probably fairly extensively, but it boils down to down to that whole thing as Métis people if we truly owned ourselves then uh, as a sovereign independent people we should be able to determine who is and is not part of our collective and yet just like you say we've seen this organization default to the colonial court position and in and not even in the broadest sense but in the most restrictive sense absolutely and and that's the worst part is I think we have covered this extensively on this podcast but the truth is, is I, I think people still almost are in denial that that these organizations. They, well, why would they do that? They they're fighting for the rights for Métis people, but the truth is, is they're not. If they're fighting for it, then they would be fighting against these Pauli decisions. They would be saying to the government, "Look, I I don't we don't really care what your Supreme Court decided. We 
are the people who decide that, not you. And but they're not. Um, they're just rolling over. The only lawsuits that I know of that that I'm aware of uh, coming out of the the cartel are lawsuits for. Uh, in Manitoba against the loss of the hydro money that the government took back. And, you know, things. it's, it's about money. It's not about rights. Um, as far as I know, they do not have a, a court case where they're fighting to say, no, we, we control who has Indigenous rights and Métis rights, not the Supreme Court of Canada. So... Yeah, uh, that's right. But But people... I don't know if people just don't see it, don't want to see it, or don't want to believe it, but it's uh, it's really too bad because I don't know how much more obvious they can make it that they have completely accepted the Supreme Court's authority, the government of Canada's authority, So and then they turn around and say, well, but we want nation-to-nation relationship. What does that mean? How do you How do you be a nation if you're just... The Supreme Court gets to decide... Who in your nation has rights? Yeah. So I hope may- maybe people yeah, exactly. Will get well, I think, and I hope so. We talk about that too. You know, that uh, getting trying to get people engaged and off the sidelines and into the discussion in a meaningful way. Absolutely. And I hope you know when you hear things like this right from the horse's mouth, as it were that that the hypocrisy of what's going on here becomes apparent enough to enough people that that we can you know put our collective voices together for change yeah well and i think there's another quote that i uh read and (laughs) i i actually saw this quote because people were like what an amazing quote from our wonderful leader and the quote was and i i don't think you've seen this jason so i hope you're sitting down buddy but uh the quote was we are a government and indigenous people's by virtue of Section 35, have the inherent right of self-governance. And, I don't know, It that says to me that uh, we have the right to self-government because of Section 35? Really? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that was exactly where you'd want to go with that quote. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not... I don't think attributing our rights to the Canadian Constitution is a platform for Indigenous sovereignty. Exactly. Well, and and I I truly hope that he meant something else from that statement. Maybe I'm just really not intelligent enough to figure it out. But I just, when you say stuff like that, it leaves me thinking, so, so you think that we have our inherent right of self-government because the government of Canada says so and has given us that right. That's not how that's not how it works, man. We have that right because we were here first. <laughs> and because that is our right, not because the government says so. Just it is. So I I don't know. It, to me it was such a clear statement of how they've ac- accepted things, but like I said, People were like, "Oh, this is a great quote from our amazing leader." I just well, shook my and head. I think that's the yeah, and that's the real challenge is that Section Thirty Five limits our rights. Actually, if you want to be honest about it, absolutely, it is a it, it's a section of the Constitution to work as a container to put parameters around Indigenous inherent rights. That's what that's what it is. It's to create what with the 
you know, the, the catchword is a framework. Yes. And that's what it is, is to put up fences around them and limit the boundaries of what is indigenous right and title to the land. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that constantly. So to say that, that somehow by putting up the fence, you got the right is really a misunderstanding. Well, exactly. And uh, I mean, the, the government of Canada, right from the beginning, has been wholeheartedly working their, their asses off to take away Indigenous rights. What, like, there's nothing about the, the really the Constitution and stuff that gives you more rights. It's, it's it, even at the most base level of them just simply acknowledging that Indigenous rights exist, if you want to look at it at that level... It's the Constitution is kind of like they acknowledge they exist, but we control them, like the government of Canada controls them, and that's kind of how I read that, you know. Yeah, and that's what the fence is for. They are the gatekeeper. They are, you know, they hold the fence in in check so that you don't go beyond their imposed boundaries. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's not a right in that you're free to exercise at will because that's what a right is. It's really considered by the government a privilege that's granted to you under the Constitution. Absolutely. And, and you know, again, we've talked about that many times, and I firmly believe that's the, how the government views things. Is it's, it is a privilege that we grant you, not a right that you are born with. Um, so, yeah, I, but, I, you know, I, I think it's hilarious that uh, they're using a test that he wouldn't even pass. Man, that's just well, I think up. if anybody ever thought we were just a bunch of whiners and complainers and we're fabricating things because we love to bitch and moan about stuff, when you see a video clip and you hear that for yourself firsthand, you really, you know, there should be a little bit of an eyebrow raise there, uh, you know, and a little bit of a validation for us, I think, in, in that being critical of these organizations is healthy. Absolutely. And and I think you know for me I mean that's that's what I've always uh, that's what I tell people is hey you might not like us but a, you know a dissenting voice is healthy it's healthy to any any situation any especially when you're talking you know quote unquote governance and self government and nation to nation uh, well then you expect that there might be some dissenting voices and that's what well, we like to like offer here. About a lot, so- we would we would have a lot less of a platform to stand on, a lot less to talk about, if there was transparency, if there was you know uh, forthrightness in accounting and expenditures, in election policies. You know, we talk about the election coming up. If these things were all above board and open for the membership, you and I would have a lot less to talk about. <laughs> yeah, in fact, we'd have very very little to talk. We I don't know if we'd have made it sixty seven episodes. <laughs> Either they that or they'd be pretty light, lighthearted. Yeah. Well, well I, I think there's an amazing amount of Indigenous issues to cover. There's a lot of challenges facing Métis people outside of these, you know, uh, the cartel. And so the challenge is, is so much is wrapped up because of the backing of the federal government behind these institutions that it occupies a great deal of time. Absolutely. Absolutely, it does, and 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 that is the downside. Is I, I, you know, I kind of do feel like in a lot of ways we skip over a lot of issues just because there's another bigger issue happening, or there's something else happening with, and it has to do with these organizations and the way they're operating and the way they're treating people. Um, and and uh, you know, it's, it is it is kind of sad because we can't move on from here. 
because of the crap that keeps circling around and circling around and we keep fighting about identity and we keep fighting about it and in, in the end of the day we're not getting any further ahead you know no and that's the challenge and instead of uh, being able to move past these conversations about you know the organization its leadership the crazy things that they say and do you know um we're continuing to talk about it because they're the biggest obstacle right now for metis people really being able to move forward and and present a unified front to to challenge you know what we see is a lot of the inequities that are going on absolutely absolutely And, and that's where i wish they would be fighting for people i wish they'd be fighting those inequities and stuff like that rather than just jumping up and down that they got uh you know a few million dollars a year to spend on some programs and services but at the same time we have a lot of things we are that people need and and i don't see i don't see those things getting you know getting any attention um because they're maybe not headline grabbing stuff they're you know the more the meat and potatoes of issues that that people face so but hey, their their ninetieth uh, annual general meetings coming up, and I'm going. I'm going to show up. So we'll we'll see what kind of fireworks I can set off up there. Woohoo! <laughs> we'll see if you get in past the door key. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, we have speaking of rights and things like that. So there's a lot of um, a lot of examples through Métis history and certainly First Nation history and, and Inuit history that. Um, of uh, the government relocating people, kicking people out, evicting people off of their own land. And we recently saw that, you know, last week or the week before, where, you know, because of the pipeline, uh, Burnaby came in and gave an eviction notice to, uh, you know, some First Nation people that were, that had set up a village, basically. Um, and they they kicked them out of their own land. And mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that because we did get a question from somebody, one of the listeners and one of our patron um, listeners. So thank you to Jen for sending us that question and phoning me. Um, but uh, essentially the question is, is, can is there a way for people to, I guess, go off grid, go back to the land, kind of move away, but still be somewhat connected to society, but just to live traditionally? And not have to worry about, you know, purchasing your property and paying your tax, you know, your property taxes and, you know, things like that. And and the, the short answer is I don't think that's even possible. Um, I, as far as I know, do you know any different, Jay? Well, I, okay, so I only know what's local to where I'm at. And the the real challenge is is about your commitment to that. To go live on the land, yeah, technically, yeah, yes, you can. But on the reality side is you're not likely to because of the commitment level it would take. Because you're not going to be able to build a any kind of residence. So a lot of people want to go and park their RV on Crown Land or they want to walk out to the woods and build a cabin. And I know here in Alberta where I'm at that uh, once Fish and Wildlife finds you, they will report you and have you moved. Mm-hmm. Um, for the simple fact they don't want squatters in the woods. Yes. Um, so that right there pretty much ends it for most people. 
at the same time, if you were like, this is it, this is the end of it, and I am done, and you're going to grab your wigwam or your teepee, and you were going to go live a transient, let's face it, it's historically accurate lifestyle that our ancestors used to do, there'd be precious little they could do about it. Yeah, I, I, I think you... I just don't know if anybody has that commitment level. Well, and, and I don't know, yeah, like if you want to continue to kind of interact with um, your local community as far as, you know, trading goods or selling something and things like that, I think it would be re- it'd be extremely difficult to do that in a, uh, you know, teepee or trapper's tent kind of situation because you'd need to maintain a certain certain distance within, you know, close to your the community you want to be part of. And so, it, yeah, I think it'd be really hard. And I, I, I suspect even if you were in a TP and stuff like that, I, I suspect the government would go out of their way to try to find a way to get a TP classified or a trapper's tent classified as more of a permanent residence and kick you off anyway. Um, well, they would try. Everything is is you're only allowed. You can go camp on Crown land anywhere in Alberta up to a certain point in time, and then you'd have to move. Yeah. So that's legal, and there's no. That's why they have such a problem with uh, tent cities and things like that with the homeless people, mm-hmm. is because there's not adequate legislation in place. Yeah. However, if you're talking about selling your home and pulling up stakes and getting off grid, you, you know that's the kind of commitment it would take, and there's a good reason why most people don't do it right there. Yeah, exactly. So I think that yeah, like a, I guess the short answer is you could do it. You'd have to be very mobile. And be willing to do that, mm-hmm. and you know she was she was very uh, you know she wants to hunt and make her own clothing and make everything they need and the few things maybe they can't then go trade or or go sell stuff in order to buy what you need. Um, so hey, I, I think they could do it. Uh, I don't think you could do it with any reasonable comfort level. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, well, I, guess- I think it's also. The other challenge is, is if you look, I think it can be done, but the reality that that we face is not even our ancestors just did it alone. They always yeah. did it in community. True. Um, so, I mean, if it was just, you know, my family alone in the woods trying to do it, you know, that's going to be a real stretch and it's going to be very difficult. And even if it was your family, my family, Darcy, there's, there's only the two of us and that's a lot to do you know yeah, and traditionally when our when our ancestors lived in the wilderness you know living off the land as it were they didn't do it in a singularity either no that's and very I think true that, you know as someone who spent a fair bit of time growing up in in the back country people underestimate oh yeah yeah absolutely absolutely yeah no i and i think yeah, there's some good points there um but so i guess i guess to to jen the short answer is yes it's possible. The long answer is it's how possible is it? I guess depends on you. <laughs> like Jason said, your commitment level. So, um, but moving from that, that kind of segues nicely into the next, next story that I read. And, and I have to pre- pre- preview this with, um, or give the disclaimer that I actually thought this was satire news when I first read it. Um, and I laughed my, my ass off, but, then I had to go back and realize, no, this was actually on the CBC, and I checked with a couple other news sources. So there is a group of people, uh, non-Indigenous people living in Saskatchewan that have lakefront property and have had for years, 
had lakefront property. They are leasing the land from the Sacame First Nation in Saskatchewan. And there is a family that got behind in their payments and they got evicted. <laughs> and so that right there, I thought, oh, this is funny because non-Indigenous are getting evicted off of Indigenous land. So <laughs> that kind of got me laughing. But the whole story is, is they, they got evicted and so they have to, not only do they have to leave, but they have to return the land to um, as close to original condition as, as possible, which means... They have to remove any septic system that they had in there. They have to remove or destroy their cabin. They have to remove any improvements they've done whatsoever. It has to be back to just bare land. <laughs> and the, the the family's comment was, the, the one lady's comment within the family was that, she said, in quote, and I quote this, Our family has leased this that property since World War II, and it has been passed down from one generation to the next, she said. Uh, basically, and then she went on to say, basically, as of the 24th, we will sit here until the police arrest us and tell us we are trespassing. Um, and then I got a, the, the chief of the Sacame First Nation responded, and she said uh, that it's unfortunate that people didn't pay their rent, so now they are facing eviction. Um, she said, we have some long-term tenants, like these people, who we know really appreciated our land, but the fact of the matter is we can't let people just remain on our land without paying. <laughs> and I, I thought that was that's probably one of the best quotes I've read uh, in months in the new in in the news. Uh, I don't know what are your thoughts on this, Jay? Well, I was like you. I was I wasn't really sure until I seen it was on on CBC that I wasn't being punked by the article. <laughs> Um, because talk about role reversal. Right. Um, and, and what I thought was really funny was that uh, these people got in the rears on their rent because the, uh, of a, it wasn't even the First Nations community. It was actually a, a department from INAC, if I'm not mistaken, that required a review of their rent rates yes. to bring them up to fair market value. Yes. And, and so the government had its hand in this. In that the government forced the um, the reserve to review their rent rates, and after a, a massive increase, because there hadn't been an increase since like World War II, um, <laughs> all of a sudden these people didn't want to pay it, or they thought it was unfair and unjust. And the one lady, the one of them that's in the rears, and I don't remember if it was the main lady from the article, was actually they were trying to launch a class action suit against the reserve for the, the, those rent increases because they thought they were unfair. Yes. And again, so it created this bad, again, the government is, has its finger in the middle, creating this animosity between the First Nations community and the renters. Uh, and the First Nations community is taking all the heat when it was the government that made them do the review. Absolutely. And, and yeah. And so, you know, and so the First Nations community then is forced to then create a third-party corporation so that it's at arm's length and looks like it's independent from the First Nations yeah. community to, to manage their land. And I thought that's very sad it is. that that how optic has to be created when the fact of the matter is it in if this was, again, a role reversal <laughs> and a landlord decided to up the rent on his lake lots 
and there was a bunch of First Nations people living there. And even if that, I mean, how many times has that happened? That that was their traditional territory in the first place. They all got the boot. Yeah, they exactly. For the rent increase. And, and no one boohoo's about that. No, we don't see First Nations people trying to launch, launch a uh, class action suit against it and not pay their bills. You know, that doesn't happen. And so the whole thing to me was just like, wow, could you like, you know, if this was any other way, you'd be, you know, be norm. But now that you know these settlers are getting kicked off you know first nations communities is like wow is this like a comic book fiction or what i know well and and along that lines about the government it was actually in fact uh indigenous services canada that uh you know dealing with the eviction and and decided to evict them and things like that because of lack of payment um which goes to show that even though this is being managed by the Sakama First Nation and it's their land, um, the government of Canada actually is still treating them like wards of the state and saying, well, no, you can't manage it. You can possibly be smart enough to be landlords. So we'll do that for you. And we'll just tell you what to do and how to do it. And that's essentially what's happened here is they've decided to evict them and now the Sacama First Nation has to deal with that. And I, I agree with you. I think it's exactly like you said. It's, uh, you know, INAC creating these divides, or whatever they're called now, CERNA. And th- this is the way the government of Canada treats Indigenous people. It's like they're wards of the state, and, they, you know, they act on behalf of them. Well, and I think that's what we're constantly, that I don't think people see behind the curtain is, the fallout from that is left to the First Nations community, the local, because they're seen as the bad guys and the government walks away, you know, causing the problems between these long-term renters and the First Nations community. They order all these reviews. They order the rate hikes. They, you know, all these things happen. And who bears the brunt of all the the, the anger? Well, the First Nations community does. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it just creates more of a racist, more of a more of a divide, more of um, you know anybody that's well, because inclined. Because Saskatchewan was already such a a lovely utopia of inclusive attitudes <laughs> towards Indigenous people, then how could this possibly go sideways? <laughs> All right, that that's actually that would that would be a good quote what you just said there. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely true. I mean. You couldn't pick a place to make this stand, and the, even like a much worse place, um, you, you know. And it's funny because you you got the camp that's going on in Regina, and again, like the the premier and the justice minister, like until those people over there show a good a sign of good faith and leave, we're not going to even meet with them. And, and you know, it's just how many more of these divides and kicking people off and evictions and. Can we possibly go through? My God. Yeah. And so when you come across an article like this where the, the shoe's on the other foot, you do got to chuckle just a little. Well, you do. And, and I, I just wonder what would happen. In, what would it be like if, uh, you know, the First Nation came along and said, hey, we're going to build a golf course so all of you guys have to get out of here. Um, I mean, I, I can only imagine the fury that would be created then. Oh, yeah. And I, no doubt, eh? You know, you know, because that may have happened a time or two to Indigenous people. So, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. It was quite the article. I mean, I laughed. I I continued. I'm still laughing about it. I still I can't. Uh, I don't know. I I think because I have a visual of this, like 
white family just pleading their case in front of their lakefront second property that they own where they go to get away on the weekends in the summertime and and you know just the tears streaming down saying we've owned this land since world war ii and i just think oh my good god like the 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 mental image i have of that i think is what's keeping me laughing here well, and, and, and exactly right. What really just was like a total face palm was that whole verbiage of uh, the land is, you know, we've inherited it generationally and now we're being kicked off of it. Yeah. And holy woe is us, <laughs> you know, is like, wow, <laughs> well, welcome to indigenous life, my friend. I know. I, I just wish there was... Like, I I really hope there was somebody, like an Indigenous person standing there saying, yes, now you know how it feels. And then the next time they sit, next sentence they said, go, exactly, that's exactly how it feels. But, yeah, now go home and tell all your friends. Yeah, exactly. This oh. is what it feels like to get kicked out of your inherited property. <laughs> Yeah, well, and then to and then to make the stand like they're staying right until the police come and get them. I'm like, oh my good lord, wow. Yeah. But and uh, you know, just a point of fact, I did read in the article too that um, the fine is still fifty dollars for trespassing on uh, on reserve land, and or mm-hmm. a month in jail or both, depending on what the courts think. No. Yeah. So so pretty, that's the. Pretty stiff penalties. I mean, uh, you know, almost as bad as, as protesting a pipeline, but not quite. Well, that's right. I mean, um, one lady in, um, that's, it was at Standing Rock there, uh, Red Fawn, I think she got 57 months for pissing people off. I, I don't they they trumped up a bunch of charges on her, and none mm-hmm. of them were true, but she got like 57 months. So, you know, $50 for... for, for yeah, for the Indian being on uh, the Indian land protesting the, the pipeline, you can go to jail for a few years. Yes. But if you're the uh, settler getting evicted uh, by the government off of reserve land, you know, maybe 30 days and 50 bucks. Yeah, exactly. And probably if you went to court, you'd probably get a reduced, reduced fine. So. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, because we can't honestly put you in jail for a whole month. That would be bad. Well, I can't imagine in Saskatchewan that they would put them in jail for a month or even find them. They'll probably just like they'll, man, they wouldn't even probably wouldn't even tase these people. No, because to be honest, Darcy, they have suffered enough, <laughs> haven't they? They, they lost their. They they really had. I mean, they've watched the loss of their land, their lake lot, their historic cabin. <laughs> haven't they suffered enough? I mean, where will these people vacation? Have has I know. has anybody thought? Has no of one that? thought of that, right? Yeah. What the, will these people do in the summertime? The humanity here. I know. <laughs> I can't believe the travesty. <laughs> oh, this is so good. As like, I'm saying, this this stuff writes itself. You don't. Uh, I mean, what do you? How do you even come up with that? I know. Well, if you were the reporter getting that story, though, didn't wouldn't you think that reporter's just like um. Like, is this a joke on a rookie reporter thing, or what? What's going on here? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, and and if you're an indigenous person, this has to be you. You better be frying up some bread and and having a good old you know sit around potluck laugh over that one. I know, man. I, I'm thinking of printing it and just putting on a little frame just to show. Hey, one time in Canadian history. 
The First Nations evicted the oh. white man off their land. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, maybe they'll give him some discount coupons for like property somewhere else. Uh-huh. Oh, who knows? <laughs> I, I don't even know. Oh, it's man. almost like it's almost like a reverse, you know, there should be like an APTN TV show about that one. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Total reverse re- reversal of roles. That'd be hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, no, I just, I, I can't stop picturing that poor family, tears streaming down. Like, where will they vacation? Where will well, they spend their Well, I hope they uh, do well with their protest, you know, and they uh, chain themselves <laughs> to the front porch next to the beer cooler and the lemonade. And, uh, you know, when they get escorted to the property line, you know, um, it'll be a sad moment. Well, that's right. And, you know, I hope it doesn't come down to uh, bringing in the military or the, you know, the paramilitary known as the RCMP. Um, you know, Just I hope everything goes body peacefully. armor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, there's no uh, tear gas or water cannons. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, hey, but if they're trespassing, according to... Uh, Canadian criminal code now, according to the courts, can't you just shoot them? Isn't that, uh, well, isn't that the law that's, now? No, we, we ha- no, we got to go back the other way around. That's when you're on the right. government's land. Right. Not, not when you're on the Indian's land. When you're on the Indian's land, they probably will get a red carpet rolled out from the porch to the <laughs> to the property line. Yeah. Government will bring in some limousines for them to, you know, pack their shit They'll up. They'll be... Uh, There'll be the RCMP in their full uniform with their white gloves on to make sure that the people uh, feel duly escorted. Yeah, they might even help them with their bags, you know, just to make it easier on them. Yeah, well, we don't want to put them under too much stress after all. (laughs) So ridiculous. So ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I mean. I read the article and I was like, that's, it's like fiction, you know, am I was being punked as a satire, which news, you know, am I on the Beaverton or something here right away? Like did walking Eagle write this or what? I know. I, that was my first thought. I'm like, oh, man, how did I get sucked in the walking Eagle? I didn't even notice it. And then I was like, that is the CBC logo. I don't think that's the walking Eagle. I don't think they changed their logo, but, uh, yeah, it no, is what I it had is. to look it up just to make sure somebody wasn't fudging it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know I did too. I, so then I Googled it afterwards and I went to like three different sites that were like legitimate news sites. I'm like, no, it's, it's there. This is a real story. So it's, it's a one that keeps on giving, I think for, for any indigenous out there who want a good chuckle. It, uh, you know, yeah. If, if you need a little bit of lighthearted laughter with the, uh, with all the election uh, BS going on with the AFN and with the uh, the cartel coming up, look it up. It'll give you a chuckle. Absolutely. And and speaking of the AFN, just real quick, I guess the – so tomorrow, I guess, the, well, when everybody's listening to this podcast, we should have the results. And uh, I'm Team Russ, so here here's to hoping. Fingers crossed. Absolutely. That Russ pulls us out of the bag. They need some big changes over there. Well, and I actually saw a video online today where uh, uh, Perry Bellegarde's sister uh, was, uh, they had given some T-shirts to promote Perry through the event to this guy, and he decided to start, he put them on the floor and started writing, uh, you know, I love KM for I love Kinder Morgan, and uh, Mm -hmm. this is what colonization looks like on the T-shirts. Boy, and she did not like that. Yeah, I just got that picture yeah. yeah, I caught that picture just before we went on oh. to do the show tonight, and <laughs> got a good laugh out of that one. Yeah, 
<laughs> and she's trying to she's trying to rip the shirts out of his hand, and he's like, "Hey, you're on my territory, and you gave them to me." So, yeah, that was an interesting confrontation. But good for that guy. I stand on his ground. I respect that. That's that's awesome, man. So, but here's well, here's good in that. I'm glad that guy had some crayons in his back pocket to be able to pull that off. I think that's the way it should go. Absolutely. <laughs> Somebody was Johnny on the spot thinking. And I hope he wears those shirts around. So, uh, you know, to promote, promote Perry. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I hope I I truly hope Russ wins. Um, and uh, I hope, you know, I'm not really, I'm kind of cynical. I don't expect a lot of change, but I do hope that if Russ wins, there might be some change there. I'm about as hopeful for that as I am hopeful that uh, we'll see some change here in the wonderful Métis Nation world of Métis Nation of Alberta Association. Um, so who knows? Here's to hoping. Can always help. All we can do is keep... Well, I think that's the thing is we've got to continue to battle forward in, in changing these structures. And I think that's the first step. Uh, you know, if the AFN is ever going to see reform, you know... Um, if nothing else, at least putting someone like Russ in will help bring, you know, a bit more confrontation and not just the, uh, you know, signing of endless paperwork. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So even if change is an immediate, at least you stop the erosion. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's kind of what I'm hoping here is we see some change to where people are going to start thinking about their communities here, here in Alberta and, thinking about how the things they do affect the people that they're supposed to be representing um, as opposed to just running corporations and trying to make money for themselves. So I hope I'm cynical, but I hope so. There you go. Uh, Some quick notes. We do have the event on August 13th. If you're in Calgary, uh, you can check it out on our Facebook page, go there and go to the events and it's there. Uh, It's also on our uh, website and I'm going to say this now, and I'm probably going to say it on the August 13th because we are going to be uh, recording that for the podcast as well. But um, Lawrence Gervais, who is the vice president of Region 3 right now, who is running for president of Region 3, uh, has refused to go to the event. Uh, in case of anybody who didn't know, I've been saying this is, was supposed to be a candidates forum where people... Métis Nation members can come and ask their candidates questions and find out more about them and see who they like. And Lawrence Gervais flat out just simply said no. And when I said, do you want me to tell anybody why? And he's like, no, I'm really just not interested. Bye. And he hung up on me. So, you know, it was a short conversation. And most all the other candidates have bowed out except for one Um I will give the disclaimer that one candidate, Joe out in Banff, um, I don't think he's going to get enough signatures or something. there, And so I think he probably won't be there as a candidate. Uh, but I hope he still shows up. So it has turned into a coffee conversation with Joe Pimlot, who is running for president of Métis Nation Region 3. And Joe is the only one there that actually is involved in the community in many, many ways, he's, you know, a Shriner and all this stuff. And every time I see him, he's volunteering for something for youth, for the community, to try to make his community center better, to make his Métis community better. Um, and so, to be honest with you, I really hope Joe wins. He's an awesome guy, but he puts the community before everything. And he's actually trying to get some some youth to show up at the event. So I hope that happens. Um 
and that would be really awesome because he's he's trying to engage more of the youth in the Métis Nation, and I think that's a, an awesome way to go. So that has turned into a conversation with Joe Pimlot, if you're still interested in showing up. And uh, what else is there? Oh, and if you are so inclined, I will... I am going to try to do my best to make it to the Métis Nation of Alberta's annual general meeting in Lac La Biche. So if you see me there with a Jig Is Up t-shirt, come and say hi. I may be standing in the parking lot because I don't know if they'll even let me in or if they're going to kick me out when I do get in. So, But I'll still hang out. So if you see me, come say Either hi. Either way, that'll make a great show. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I will be there with a mic in hand trying to get uh, some sound clips from people and We'll see who, who we can get on the show, what what dignitaries we can interview, and what VIPs we can talk to. So that should be a very eye-opening experience for me. I think it's good. Yeah. Good stuff. A- any, uh, any final thoughts, Jason? No, none for me. I, I don't have anything offhand. Well, it was nice having you back for a nice 45-minute uh, well, rant and... Uh, and that kind of thing. So it's, it's been a few shows since you've been on, so that's awesome. Yeah, well, when your summer comes, you try to get out and do a little bit of holiday. Well, that's right. And I know you're doing some renovations, and uh, that chews up a lot of time. So you're just a uh, busy guy. you got to quit everything else, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some, someday when I'm making the big mutts, bucks like Audrey, we can kick back and get our beaded gear on and talk Métis politics all day long. Absolutely. Fantastic. So, uh, with that, if you did enjoy the show and you want to get more stories or interviews uh, and you want to support the show, head over to their patron page. And for as little as five bucks a month, uh, we you get access to exclusive content. And I think what I'm going to do is I was doing a Friday blog, but rather than write it, I think what I'm going to do is do it as just a separate uh, show. So, if you want to hear that, you're going to have to become a patron. So, head over to the patron page. The link will be in the description. And as uh, I guess that's it for tonight. So for me, Darcy, and for Jason, I want to say thanks for listening. And until next time, the jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. I don't have a fire that doesn't burn.